All right, so we are starting a new season of ministry today. This is our kickoff service for the Central Community Church, Lake Arock Campus. And what that means is essentially we are recommitting ourselves to ministry and to mission in this season. And I just, I find this time of year so exciting because it's an opportunity for us to just be reclaiming what we plan on doing. And we want to say who we are. We want to talk about what we're doing. We want to say especially why we're doing it. And we are a community of individuals who seek to love God and people through truth-telling, through care, through other acts of grace and kindness. And we love God because he first loved us. We want to be, as, as our mission statement says, we want to be disciple-making disciples. We want to be authentic followers of Jesus. And these are really, really good things. And to accomplish them, we need to set ourselves up for success. And so today I wanted to talk about clinging to God. I wanted to talk about clinging to God. And to illustrate, I've, I've brought some pics. Does anybody here like baby animals? Baby animals? Okay, so we got the first one here. We got, look at this. Look at that little, it's a, it's a koala bear. I can't tell if it's a mom or a dad koala bear, but it's got a baby with it. And see that baby's, that baby's clinging on there, right? We also got some monkeys. Look at that. Look at that cute little monkey. Mom or dad's got a plantain or some sort of a banana or something like that. But look at that little baby just hanging on for dear life there. And also I found some otters. Look at these. Look at that cute little otter hanging on. I, when I was looking for this picture, I actually discovered otters aren't as nice as I, they, they're very cute, but they're actually quite vicious. So they're, they're, I'm like, I'm trying to keep them like this in my mind now. They're just very sweet. And then finally we got, oh, look at that. That's that's me, and that's Cadman. He's, I, I don't remember how old he was, but he was just losing it. You can kind of tell by the redness in his face, and he, Dad was trying to comfort him, and so he's hanging on. And I noticed today there was, a, there was some accidents and, and stuff, and we saw little ones hanging on for comfort. And it's, just, it's such a beautiful thing that God has done for us. And so this is, a, this is a little about what I had in mind, a little one clinging to somebody with their life or for their life. See, God is our creator. And so because of that, he is our father. God is our father. And this father, he's been parenting for a long time, right? He's not a new dad. He's not Googling, you know, what to do when such and such happens or when so-and-so does what. He's not having to do that. There's nothing that we can do that surprises him. Just to recap, the, the way the, the timeline has gone is God's interaction with people as he made Adam and Eve and didn't take too long for things to go sideways. And so we had a, a bit of a time afterwards, after what we call the fall, where there was, people were essentially doing whatever they wanted. And then God decided to start enacting his plan to reconnect. And so he chose a people starting with Abram who would become Abraham and the family, the descendants that he would have. And he would start working through these people. He claimed them as his own, this group of people that he was going to connect with especially and reveal himself to in order to show the world who he was. Part of what he needed to do is he needed to give them some real estate. They needed some land in order to be able to do this mission. And so God said, Abram, Abraham, I promise you, I'm going to give you this land. And so they went through and they finally got to the promised land. But before they arrived in it, they had a lot of stuff they had to learn. They had a lot of stuff they had to learn. 400 years they spent in Egypt learning about who God was. Another 40 years they spent wandering around the wilderness as God was teaching them who he was, what, it need, what they needed to do to worship him well. And what did they learn before they came into the promised land, before they had to take it? Did they learn some 
full frontal assault tactics to be able to take the land. Yeah. No. no. I know. I was disappointed too. I, I just, I read it today and it's, no, they didn't. Did they learn some like sneaky guerrilla warfare? Yes. or so? No, unfortunately. <laughs> that's wrong again. See, I, I see, I agreed with you, man. I thought that was the case. <laughs> Did they learn how to build weapons of mass destruction to just blow their enemies away? Oh, wrong again. Man, someone needs a history lesson. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll talk after. But no, they didn't. How, how did they get there? What did they do? They got there by trusting God and by doing what he says. And then God did the heavy lifting to get them into the land. So in other words, at least temporarily, they were able to see their need in God and they were able to cling to him, to, to hold fast to him to hold firmly to him because they, like us, would always be in a context where things would be trying to pull them away from God. They would be trying to distract, things would be distracting them and and doing that. They needed to remain faithful to him because in him they found everything. Now, I know probably nobody here could relate to this, but when I was in high school, I had poor self-image. I had bad self-esteem. I had no way to find meaning and purpose. And so I hid behind a facade of of false confidence and this sort of bad boy kind of thing. But inside was this broken, hurting person. And it it was really, really tough. Moreover, I'd been relationally burned. My family had fallen apart. Things had gone sideways. I had hurt people. People had hurt me. And Because of that, I was looking for meaning and purpose in anything. I was flailing around and trying to latch on to anything that I could see that would might do the trick. If anybody here is a sailor, you might have heard the the saying, any port in a storm. Essentially, this means that if you're out in the storm on the sea, any port will do, right? Just just get into land. This is very bad life advice. If anybody try, if things are going wrong and they say, oh, just latch on to this person or just latch on to these set of circumstances, don't listen to them because not every person and not every set of circumstances has your best intentions in mind. See, I always seem to think, I always seem to cling to the wrong thing. Even after becoming a Christian, things didn't just magically get better for me. Yes, making that decision gave my life a sense of direction and purpose and and goodness and truth, but I still had to be moving myself forward. People who cling to God have more in store for them, especially if they do it with all their being. They don't get swayed by other gods, other things that want to distract them. So I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. Who, thank you, See, I missed last week, so I'm, I'm like out of practice for remembering that it's, it's the evening. Oh, man. It's like four months I had it going on, and then... So anyway, this evening, I want to ask you this question, or ask yourself this question. Who or what do I rely on for meaning and purpose in life? For meaning and purpose in life. Who or what do I rely on? Because the easy answer, right, if we're in Sunday school, the easy answer is Jesus, right? Like, we, we want to say that, and I'm sure everybody in this room would probably say that. But, but maybe they wouldn't because sometimes we, we might say either intentionally something else or with our actions. We may behave in a certain way like something else is what we look to for meaning and purpose. So maybe some of us, it's, it's a career, right? It's our, it's our job. 
We, we, we invest all of our time, we set that as a higher priority, or, or our stock portfolios, or, or, or something like that. Making money is, is the most important thing to us. Or in this world that we live in, especially in the West, sports is a pretty big deal. So maybe we look to you know, our kids' hockey team, or the Blue Jays, or something else. And, if, and I know some people sometimes laugh when I say that, but I kid you not, I was reading yesterday that there is a person in the United States, actually there was multiple people, but I was reading about this one person, who is suing the National Football League because of one call in one game in the last year's NFC Championship game. They didn't like it, so they've been suing, suing the NFL. They've been spending thousands and thousands of their own dollars, thousands and thousands of taxpayer dollars and time because they didn't like one play in one game because their team lost and they blamed it on this one play. This is, I'm, I'm not joking, this is how serious some people will take their sports. Maybe it's your family. Maybe, maybe it's, your, it's your parents or your children or something like that. And, and that is, is, takes pride of place. That takes priority in life. And friends, don't hear me wrong. Family and, and sports and, and cr- like having a career and, and feeling worth in that, those are good things. Like these are things that God has given us. But when they start to take pride of place, when they start to be that foundation, are they capable of holding it up? And the answer is no, these things aren't forever. They aren't eternal. They aren't powerful. These things can't and won't last forever, at least in the same way. And will surely not be void of the potential of letting us down. Canucks, anyone? Like, seriously. See, I I think most of us here would say, we we would say that if we look for meaning and purpose in our life, we look to God. I think most of us would say that. and, And I believe that. But do we really cling to him? And when I, when I say cling, what do, I, what do I mean by that? I mean to hold on to, to look to for everything, to thank at all times, especially when the times are going tough, to lean into when the times are going tough. Do we cling to him? Or is it just a fling that, that's born out of convenience? I have to ask myself, is this something that I do? This, this Christian thing, is it something that I just do? Do I go through the motions? Or is this who I am? Is it a fling? Or do I cling? Fling or cling? I'm going to ask you to remember this one thing. See, luckily we have our, our book here, uh, our, our wonderful book, and in it contains the life of one Joshua. We're going to be reading from Joshua today if you want to turn there, or the, it'll also be up on the screen, or feel free to grab your phones. Joshua is the f- sixth book in the Old Testament, Genesis, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers, Exodus, Joshua. And we're going to be in chapter 22, chapter 22, and we're going to be looking a bit at his life, a bit at this circumstance that they found themselves in, the Israelites and him. And looking at him is undoubtedly going to help us see where we're at. So cool thing about scripture is that no matter how many times we go through it, God can show us new things. God can show us different things. And today's passage is no different as I went through it. Just God speaking to me in really cool ways. So the context, we've already talked about a little bit about the conquest. The Israelites were supposed to come in and take this land that God had promised them, and they had done it. And now they're sitting and talking, and Joshua is addressing them. The tribes have moved into their places. There's 12 tribes, for those of you who don't know, 12 tribes of Israel, and nine and a half tribes have moved into what's 
anybody cares, it's called the Cisjordan side. So if you're looking at a map, it's the left-hand side. So this is where like Jerusalem and stuff like that is. Here's the Jordan and here's the Transjordan. So they're here on the left-hand side with nine, well, all 12 tribes, but two and a half tribes are about to go back over here because Moses and, well, God said it was okay if they decided to settle here. So that's the context. He's talking to them and blessing them and giving them some last instructions before they move back over to the other side of the Jordan. So verse 1. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. So essentially, what he's saying is the Israelites are exactly where they're supposed to be. They, they did a good job and, and, you know, gold star, right? This is, this is incredible. Why is this incredible? Because up until this point, it hasn't been, it hasn't gone really well, right? Like it's been a bit of a comedy of errors. Like they've, they've made a lot of mistakes as they've been going through the wilderness. That, in fact, is why they spent 40 years in the wilderness. So this is, this is exceptional that they've gotten to this place. But what is this command that he's talking about? Verse 3, you have not forsaken your brothers these many days. Down to this day, you have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. What was that charge? Well, the, the two and a half tribes that he's addressing were supposed to help the nine and a half tribes get into the land. They weren't supposed to just stay on that side. They were supposed to go with them and help them take it, which they did. And so now he's applauding them for doing that. Verse 4, so now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Now, this is where it gets interesting, because if you've read the Bible, if you've been in the, in, in the church for a while, you know that typically when we talked about God's rest, we're talking sort of the end game, right? We're thinking heaven, but that's not what he's getting at here. In this case, in this context, rest means he's given them their allotted land. He's given them promised land. If you were to go to Hebrews chapter 4, the writer lays that right out and, and discusses that there is a difference between God's final rest, like capital R rest, which is relationship with him in eternity, and then this rest that Joshua is talking about, which is them getting the land that God has promised them. So the second half of verse 4, Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of the Jordan. So, so take it, it's yours. This is what has been promised to you. You did what was expected, and now you get to receive it. So good job, right? He, he, he's giving them the thumbs up. Now, whenever I'm reading a, a passage like this, especially since we're not reading all the way through, so we, we don't have a lot of the backstory, I, I get kind of curious, and I go, well, who is this Joshua guy? Joshua, uh, there's, a, there's a couple things we want to know about him, but one thing in particular that's incredibly important for what we're talking about today. Uh, first things that we can know about him is if we were to read through, we would know that he's a great warrior and also a fantastic leader. Joshua was a very, very good leader. He, in fact, took over for Moses. But he was also, and this is the main thing we want to know about him, if, is that he trusted God. And we're going to see that everything you want to know about Joshua was, could be encapsulated or discovered in one scene or one set, a series of scenes, when him, another guy by the name of Caleb, and 10 other guys who no one ever remembers their name, and you're going to see why in a second, they ended up going in to check out the land. So these 12 guys went in, and they went to check it out, and they came back to report. And when they get back, the, the 10 guys go, no, we don't want to go into this place. 
There's, there's giants. There's these huge people, and they're going to whoop us if we try to go in there. Scary. No, let's just stay over here where it's safe. Caleb and Joshua, and so this started to get people riled up. Caleb and Joshua said, no, this is, guys, this is the land of milk and honey. And if you not, or don't forget, we have God on our side. In fact, Numbers 14.9, this is Joshua talking. He says, only do not rebel against the Lord. So he's not saying just don't take what's yours or don't, you know, don't be chickens or, or whatever. He's just saying, no, what you're doing right now is you're going to rebel against the Lord if you do this. He says, do not rebel against him and do not fear the people of the land for they are bread for us. We'll eat them for breakfast, right? Like that's what he's essentially saying. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. See, violence aside, right? We're, we're good Mennonites here. He trusted the Lord. He trusted God for this. He looked to him for everything. And this, friend, like he, he, he clung to them. This is, this is Joshua's story. This is his legacy. And as we think about this season that we're in and what we're about to go into, this could be your story too. This can be all of our stories as we think about what God can do in us and through us if we have that same courage. What would the world look like if we all clung to God like that and looked to him for our needs? Verse 5. Only be very careful to observe the commandments and the law, the, Mos- the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. What was that commandment? He's speaking about the Shema. He's going to get into this. Well, he's going to paraphrase. The Shema, Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Deuteronomy 6. So law the Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So he's given a lot of commands there. He's using a lot of uh, directives. Observe, love, walk, keep serve. And I don't know about you, but as I I read through those, that to me, I I can picture what those look like in a lot of ways. They, They seem more or less straightforward, though incredibly important. But to cling to God with so much around us, so many things that are enticing us and wanting to pull us away from him, See, I know some of you might be thinking, Chris, you keep singing cling, but you know what? I don't, I don't cling, right? I, I, I hang out with, I, I, I chill with, I, I spend time with, but, but I don't cling. I don't do cling, and, and I get that. I, I, I understand that. I think God understands that too, but, but he's got this crazy habit of, of wanting what's best for us. He wants what's best for us, and that's not being flingy, with our relationship, but, but it's, it's, it's being clingy. Cling is, is to trust and, and to refuse to let go. There's a, a band called Anne Berlin, and one of their lyrics, this always stuck out to me, and uh, it reads, it's not that I keep hanging on, I'm never letting go. You see, it's, it's coming at it with the mindset that uh, this isn't just something that I, I'm going to try out. This isn't something that I hope will work out. This is something I'm going to make an intentional decision to never let go of. That's the idea that he's getting, about, getting at. These people must be cemented to God in a union that should never be dissolved. 
In the movie uh, Saving Private Ryan, there's this really interesting part where the captain gives his tough-as-nails sergeant, Horvath, an assignment. He's supposed to look after the less-than-heroic interpreter named uh, Private Oppum. And in response to him being told he's supposed to look after him, Sergeant Horvath goes, I wear him like underwear, Captain. I know, it's actually, it's, it's quite funny. And the scene there shows Oppum clinging to Sergeant Horvath for his whole life. Like he, there is, in his mind, there is no place safer in this brutal war zone that's going on all around them. Bullets flying and all that stuff, and he's clinging because he's, he's scared and he doesn't know what to do. And so he's clinging on to Sergeant Horvath. He's everything at, his, at that moment to him. Everything. And this image, the idea of wearing somebody or somebody's like underwear, it's actually biblical. Did you know that? It, Jeremiah 13.1, For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so as, so as a man wears underwear, so I made the whole house of Israel, this is God talking, So I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me. I wore them like underwear, thus saith the Lord. (laughs) That's the image. But we can still falter, right? We can still make mistakes. We can still stray. So that's why we need to keep that firm grip because it's easy to let it slip. And I know in my life, before I know it, my mind has moved off to something else. I've gotten distracted. So this is why we need to cling to someone God who can handle the load. Someone who can handle it. This is the, why it's so important. Charles Spurgeon writes, the child in danger of the fire just clings to the fireman and trusts to him alone. She raises no question about the strength of his limbs to carry her or the zeal of his heart to rescue her, but she clings. The heat is terrible, the smoke is blinding, but she clings and her deliverer quickly bears her to safety in the same childlike confidence cling to Jesus who can and will bear you out of danger from the flames of sin to Jesus himself he clung to the father why do you think it was any sacrifice at all for him to die for us the way that he did You see, he was momentarily forsaken, and and that was, there's not even a word that could describe it. I'll use the word terrible, but that, that was horrific, terrible for him. And ironically, he was denied the very thing that we so often take for granted. That relationship, that deep relationship with God. And to him, it was the most important thing, and he willingly denied himself it for even a moment so that we would have access to it 24 7. 365. What a sacrifice. So if it's a conscious commitment, then how do we get better? So I'm going to give us two things to think about, okay? First, we pray. We pray. Clinging to God means we deepen our relationship with him. And there's an easy way to do this. I'm making a little thing. It's an easy way to do this. And that involves praying if we want to deepen our relationship. Now, I say it's easy, but Charles Spurgeon, there's a good quote that I don't have, but he talks about how hard it was for him to pray, and many people know that consistent, fervent prayer is difficult to do. It can be tough. I personally, I'll actually write out prayers and say them to help my mind think through these things and to keep me on pace. 
And I also practice something called the Jesus Prayer. It's a very simple little prayer that Christians have been doing since the beginning of the church, and I want to teach it to you this evening. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Very simple. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. You guys want to say that with me? Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. You can say it in different ways. You can say, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You can, you can play with it and make it your own, but I actually set an alarm on my phone to go off periodically through the day to remind me to do that. And it's, it's neat because over the, the period of time I've been doing it, I actually now, just without thinking about it, I'll, I'll find myself saying it. I'll say it out loud or I'll, I'll say it in my mind. So now I, I say it often dozens of times during the day. And why do I do that? What do I accomplish through that? Well, first, keeps me focused. Keeps me engaged with God. And it's real easy to get distracted, as we all know, in our day and age and, and with all the things that are going. It helps keep me engaged with him. It's not a perfect system, but it helps. Next, it keeps the conversation going. I can start off by saying, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. And then it could lead me to pray for my wife or my son or, or y'all or whatever other thing that comes to mind at that point, the community, my own walk in, in more depth or more detail. And finally, when I ask for mercy, it reminds me that I need God's mercy. I, I am a sinner saved by grace. I, and I still mess up every day and I need to remind that. It keeps me, well, supposed to keep me humble. I don't know. Pride is a, is a difficult thing, right? But I know I need God's forgiveness. So we pray. The other thing we can do is love God and serve him. And when we do that, friends, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you to, to something bigger and something more sacrificial we, we want to we give until it hurts. There's this little boy, his name is Jermaine Bell. He's going to be uh, uh, celebrating his seventh birthday tomorrow. He's, turning, he's six today, he'll be seven tomorrow. And, and he wanted nothing more. He lives in South Carolina in the United States. He wanted nothing more to go, than go to Disney World for his birthday in Florida. So he'd been saving up his money, saving up his money. But then Hurricane Dorian, I don't know if you've heard, pretty, pretty big deal going on right now. People are displaced. Hurricane Dorian happened. And this is what he said. He goes, the people that are traveling to go places, I wanted them to have some food to eat so they can enjoy the ride to the place that they're going to stay at. So he took all of his Disney World money, all, every cent of it, his vacation money, and he traded it in for hot dogs and water and chips. And he wanted to serve the people evacuating in anticipation of the hurricane. Listen to this. I wanted to be generous and live to give. Right away, as soon as I read that, I'm like, that kid is a Christian because he heard that from some preacher like me who likes to make things rhyme. I was like, I would say that, right? I think I have said that at some point. So living by that model, he stood by the highway with his two little handmade signs, one on each side to make sure he got people, and he served over 100 people. But that's not all he did. As people would be ready to go, he'd ask, want me to pray for you? Did I mention he's six? This is unbelievable. This guy's my hero. See, this little guy clearly gets what it means to cling to God and to, to love him and to serve him. To serve 
not out of his abundance, but out of his everything. He serves sacrificially. What can you do this year to show God's love to the world that he wants to reconnect with? What can we do as a community to show God's love to people that he wants to reconnect with? To show our dependence on him. In our culture, we like to think of dependence, or we tend to, I should say, think of dependence as a negative thing, right? The word clingy. Who wants to be around clingy, right? It's, that person's too clingy, I, like, yuck, right? And if you're into it, if you're into clingy, then you're codependent. You, you don't win there. And especially when, you, when we live in the West, in our individualistic culture, we can end up putting this on a relationship with God, and we can start to say, God, we don't. We not say it. We can act like a God. We don't need you, right? We can, we got this, right? Like we can, we can work this out. But the funny thing is, is God actually likes it. He likes that dependence, not because he's codependent, but because he's just so invested in humanity that he's willing to walk closely with us in order to give us the best chance to succeed like a good father, like we're his children. You ever notice how much more grace we have for kids, for a two-year-old, when they mess up, right? Not so much when they're an adult and acting like a two-year-old. <laughs> See, it's funny, because I always look at myself as an adult from God's perspective, right? I think on a maturity level, him and I are like peers, right? I, I, hey, God, I'm an adult, right? You're an adult, we're adults. But, but in God's eyes, I'm actually a two-year-old. I know that's pretty easy for you guys to, to imagine, but... But, and, and school's in session, right? He's, he's teaching us all. And we're learning about what it means to live in his kingdom. And he's walking with us. He's leading us. He's teaching us. He's loving us. Just like a father would. And this is grace. This is why he wants us to cling to him, to come to him with all of our mess, and to say, I'm sorry. I messed up. I need you. Please help me. I want eternal life with you and I want other people. I want to help them to know and to discover what it's like to know you, to know a good father. So when it comes to relationship with God, being clingy is a good thing. So I'll ask you again, who, who do you cling to? If you believe it's with God, is, is it truly clinging or is it a fling? Fling or cling? It, it sounds ridiculous, but quite honestly, it's the most important question that we could ask ourselves going into this season. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for you, and we are so thankful that you love us so much, that you have sent your son, that we are able to engage with you, to be in relationship with you, to be loved by you, to love you, to show your love to other people. And Father, as we are re-entering into this season, we ask that you bless us in it. Help us as individuals, but also as a community to be able to know you better. Remind us with your spirit to look to you for everything. Help us take lessons from the life of Joshua. Thank you for the heart that you gave him. Do this mighty work in us, we pray. Amen.